welcome to Musitations, Sound Healing and Sound Wisdom for a World in Need. On Musitations, we explore all things musical, meditative, and creative for healing, transformation, and awakening the relationship between nature, culture, and the soul. I'm Michael Branty Maria, and I'm your host and guide on this journey on the edge of a new millennium. I bring my 30-plus years of experience as an integrative wellness guide, best-selling author, meditation, yoga, mindfulness teacher, and a four-time Grammy-nominated musician. Join me now on this adventure of awakening the soul. Welcome back to Musitations. I am so thrilled today to have McCall Erickson back. We had her back on episode six, in Alchemy and the Awakening of the Soul. And McCall, you know, I, I shared in the last uh, podcast that her work, her poems, her writing, her podcast, Falling into Soul, Fall into Soul? Yes. <laughs> Falling into Soul, just touched my heart. It really resonated with my own experience of doing soul work and this idea that we need to drop in and not not avoid the mess not avoid the dark not avoid that fertile soil that is the richness that everything else grows from um, we also come from some similar struggles with more traditional spirituality more traditional music more traditional healing methods versus having to take our own journey and finding that inner healer, that inner alchemist, that inner shaman, inner guru inside. And so we're really both passionate about helping empower people to become their own best guide, to really listen to their own experience, their own heart, their own emotion. And so I really, the reason I, I asked McCall back on, and the reason I ask you back on McCall, I saw you post the drama triangle on one of your posts. And for those who don't know, the drama triangle, and, and I'll let you say more about it, but it's something that I had forgotten about. I had learned about years and years ago, and part of my codependency recovery, really big part of my codependency recovery. Many people may have heard about the rescuer, perpetrator, victim triangle is often the way it's also referred to. And because we have both been on a recovery of codependency, I really said, gee, I just, you know, spontaneously said, we should do a podcast on this. And you were just as excited about it. And we talked about the importance of emotional sobriety. And some of you might be wondering why on musitations would I want to talk about emotional sobriety? Because so many people think of the arts as, you know, diving into our passion and, and feeling everything we feel. And, and, and that's true where oftentimes people feel meditation is about either not thinking, not feeling, or at least at the very most stepping back from our feelings, which is what it is at one level. But for me, particularly as a creative, as an artist, musician, poet, um, it's critical to be in touch with what's going on in this moment in my heart, my body, my soul, my fingertips, my feet, my everything. And it took me a long time. I wasn't prone to alcoholic drugs or other kinds of substances, but when it came to rescuing others and getting in their drama and feeling that, uh, that I somehow, um, I would over-empathize, you know, that their feelings became my feelings, or I would know what they were feeling before I knew what I was feeling. And when I first heard that word emotional sobriety, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, oh my Lord, that's my drug. <laughs> you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's my drug, which is a little bit you know, hard to say. But I, mm -hmm. I also think that a lot of people think emotions and feelings are the same. And that's one thing I, I would love to share. And I just always find you to be particularly articulate about this. And you're so passionate in your work about it. And you, you know, you really are willing to wade into those difficult conversations. 
So without further ado, I, I, because I feel like anybody out there either trying to meditate or be creative or follow your muse, understanding these dynamics will serve you tremendously and bring some more sanity. Because I also find, I don't know if you find this too, Macaulay, you, you know, I, I actually will lose my, um, my creative focus often. So one thing pouring my heart into creativity, it's another thing when I get lost and lose my focus because of the emotionality, as, as you've said and talked about when, when we've had these conversations. So without further ado, I want to, in, um, to welcome uh, my alchemical uh, soul sister, McCall Erickson, uh, singer, songwriter, and uh, artist healer to Musitations. Once again, thanks for being here, McCall. Thanks for having me. You honor me so well. It just fills me with amazing light. Thank you so much. Um, I love your question. What does emotional sobriety have to do with musitations and creativity? And my mind immediately says everything. Because for me, if I don't have that emotional sobriety, and I know we can expand on what that even is, I'm disconnected from my true creative flow. Like there's a difference between getting caught up in all of the stories of the ego or hijacked by our drug of choice, helping others, like feeling everything, feeling other people, being hijacked by that and being involved in that. But there's a difference between that and sinking down into that true flow of our soul. Mm. So I really love that you called it your drug of choice because in my early years, like I've been working on this for 25 plus years now, 25, I, I shouldn't exaggerate, exaggerate, 25. And I remember feeling like something was wrong. Like I was out of control and I had some really close people in my life who were in recovery for alcoholism and drug abuse. And I started going to 12 step groups with them because I'm like, this is amazing. And I, I felt like an imposter because I, I really didn't have a problem with drugs or alcohol, but I loved the 12 steps. And then it took me a while to realize, oh my God, I'm actually a codependent. I'm an enabler. That's why I'm always in relationships with addicts and alcoholics. Like, so it it's really takes a while to understand the drug because it's subtle and it masquerades as doing good and helping others and love, it masquerades as love. And it is love on one level. It's an intense feeling of love that we're helping others and, and getting, you know, getting into their emotions and their stories and their narratives. But the underlying point I think for, to realize is, am I, the question for me is, am I being hijacked? Am I being hijacked? by my emotions, hijacked by the narrative of my ego, hijacked by the narrative of somebody else's ego and story, or am I living that deeper pole that, as Rumi says, unfold your own story, unfold your own myth? Am I living that, or am I just being hijacked by my love for people and the emotional storms? So that's a question that I'm always working with, always moving with. It's, it's an ongoing thing. That's beautiful, McCall. I, I, I really like that word hijacked and it's really helped me as well. Um, actually, I just got finished with this great book. I don't know if I mentioned it to you, but The White Knight Syndrome, mm -hmm. I, I have to send you um, the link to it. It's, it's really, really good. And it's, it's, it's so ties into this. And by the way, I was the same way. I, I loved going to 12-step meetings, even though I, you know, I didn't actually, after my vision quest, 28 years ago. I didn't drink at all for 10 years. And then I drink very, very, you know, if I have a sip of wine a couple of times a year, that that would be a big deal. Um, so, and I felt there was something about the 12 steps was so critical for me. And of course, I also found my way to Al-Anon and, you know, Coda and have my little Coda chips, you know, that I still use and that I give out. And I think that that's where some of us, particularly because right now, and why I, I felt it was so refreshing seeing it from you, was we are in such a fix-it culture. 
and everyone's trying to tell us they have our, the answer for us. And I think it's a real danger actually, because, you know, there's wonderful stuff. And I, I think also you can tell when a, when a culture is in decline, when every other person is becoming a, a healer, therapist, or coach, you know, it's some, but it, but that's true. I mean, that's, that's part of what's happening is that we're going through, I can't remember if I mentioned before what, but I see us on this global soul initiation. And so we do need each other to do the work that only we can do. Right. And, yeah. and I think that kind of understanding that what I, I often will tell people, I don't have any answers for you, but I can share with you what I found to be true for me. And I can hold space as I help you find what's true for you. And that, you know, took me years. I mean, part of my, we were talking at the beginning before we got on the air about, you know, you having to kind of unlearn what you were taught in music school. And I had to unlearn. I sometimes think of myself as a recovering psychologist you know, after retiring last year from 30 plus years. And I, you know, you're taught to have the answers. You're taught, you know, you're even taught the answers, which are not the answers actually. And, and I think that, you know, and, and this idea of emotional sobriety, and I'd love maybe both of us to say how we're currently understanding and learning about it. And it's always, I think it's a never-ending unfolding. But one thing I found, and, and I know this was part of the notes you had actually, we talked about the difference between emotionality and feeling. Um, let me tell you what I, my first thought about it, and I wanna hear what you think too. One way of understanding for me that's been helpful is feeling is always here and now. You know, feeling is what, mm. feeling into what is here and now that emotions for me have a lot more to do with unresolved experiences or past experiences where we, it wasn't safe to feel in the here and now. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's one way I tend to think about it, but, but share with, share with the listeners and, and with me, your understanding of that difference and, and how you kind of notice the difference and how you practice the difference. Oh, that's, that's so good. Um, because I think the emotionality and the emotions, and I'm not a psychologist at all, but I, so I don't have the training you do, but the emotions seem to build up around trauma, around unresolved trauma. And it's habitual, it's habits that we build up around that. So we can't get to the feeling that we really need to be digesting and processing here now. It's like something happens and we're on automatic habitual, well, these are my emotions around that, right? And one thing that helped me tremendously when I started learning about feeling and dropping down into the feeling that's here and now is that those feelings almost always have no story attached to them. They're just sensations. Yes, yes. They're just energy. And so I started this thing that I call feeling without words, and it helped me feel, separate the story about the feeling or the emotions from the feeling and feel without words, which I think is maybe what a lot of people do when they begin meditating, right? Detaching the mind stories from being in the body and all that. So feeling without words to me means separating the ego story because the ego is going to create a narrative around what's happening and around what I'm actually feeling. Learning to separate those two was the hugest thing for me because the ego narrative wants to take you on a ride. It's a roller coaster ride and it doesn't solve anything and it doesn't transmute anything. It doesn't move anything. It doesn't transform anything. You're in the same place you were after you took the roller coaster ride of the ego or after you get hijacked by someone else's narrative, that's the thing. It can be our ego narrative or someone else's. We take the ride, we come back and we're the ones who are left with the mess. So to me, it's like learning the, fe the feelings that are here and now that don't have a story attached to them that need to be digested like food, right? It's like a meal. You digest those feelings, you process them and they move, they move through. That's another reason you can know you're actually feeling instead of being caught in the ego loop of emotionality is the feelings actually move. They're fluid like water. Yes. Beautiful. Oh, I love that. 
Yeah, so true. I find in, in any listeners out there, you know, one thing that you can practice, I find the same thing to be true, that especially dropping into the belly, the pelvic floor, breathing into the soles of the feet, really, really getting to that visceral parts of the body and the parts of the body we ignore so much. When I'm in story, out my my breath will slow or I'll stop breathing and I'll get into drama. I'll feel the drama take me over. And and it's literally like like breaking a trance, right? Isn't it like breaking a trance? It's like, okay, I'll do this really deep belly breath. And and I've been more and more into this, you know, the third diaphragm, which is the pelvic bowl. You know, there's actually three diaphragms, the throat and chest and then the belly and then the pelvic bowl. And dropping down. And if I can breathe into that space, you're absolutely right. The story drops, the story dissolves because the story is happening up here, you know? So, so I really love that. And it, and it, and yes, I, I agree a hundred percent that it's, it's unresolved trauma. And so the ego keeps trying to find a way it's like I already called the repetition compulsion where the mind keeps trying to get mastery over something where it mm-hmm. felt wounded, um, it lost status, it whatever it might be. And so I do, I do think that's so beautiful that when we come into the present moment, because yeah, the ego's about trying to power up or um, the other, the other little mantra I use is was I'm breathing deeply is no shame, no blame, because the ego wants to either blame or go into shame, right? Either it's their fault or my fault, you know, when it's nobody's fault, it's just situations that's just like you were saying fluid flowing unfoldings um and that's why i like the word souling that the soul is if the soul is a river the soul is a um, fluid unfolding is a verb not a noun that we are you know you're macalling along i'm along that those dramas those narratives always have to do with um nouns you did this to me. I did that to you. You know, which which really is a is a illusion, in the sense that you know we're no longer in a Newtonian view of objects in space. You know, and this is this is this idea of you know we are music. You know that we are vibration, and you just have you know I always love in your writing. You just have such an intuitive sense of all of this stuff. You know, and and you just and you've done your work, and believe me, doing personal work to me is much more important than reading textbooks and, you know, getting degrees. I mean, you know, because there's plenty of quote psychologists, psychiatrists, mental health professionals who haven't done any of their own work out there and, you know, can do more harm than good because if you haven't done your work and you, you pose as if you have some answer for the other person, you can actually do harm because you're going to actually alienate them even more from their innate wisdom. So, so I really love that. And I love the idea of the digesting, feeling, processing. Um, it's coming back to what you so beautifully talk about is it's alchemical, it's transmutation, um, turning the lead into gold, right? It's, and turning, I think of often depression as a press down emotion, right? You're depressing, you're pushing down or even the feeling as opposed to, you know, the, you know, kind of a mutiny of the soul. It's like, feel what you feel and find some way to express it and be with it. And, and preferably without story. Hmm. So that actually segues into something that I think is a really important point that Pete Walker talks about in his book, The Tao of Fully Feeling. Can't recommend it enough for people who are feeling this. And he talks about the difference between feeling and emoting and how both of them are necessary to healing. And um, so feeling would be the more feminine passive part. What, What we've been talking about, feeling without words, feeling without story, where you go inward and you have to digest it inward. And you, you know, you take the blame away, you take the shame away and you feel, you go in, feel, digest. It's not an active process. It's passive. It's very passive. But then the the active, more masculine part of the healing is what you just said, finding a way to express the feeling, which we need to do. And you talk about so beautifully, it gives me chills just thinking about it. When you 
went on your vision quest and realized that you had so much unprocessed grief mm. and that one way you found to process the grief was through, it makes me cry, through the flutes and through the music. And to me, that would be the um, emoting or releasing. So we process, but sometimes we need to release it, but you're releasing it in um, a non- emotionality way in a in an aligned way and another important thing about how we release our emotion when it needs to be released is not taking it out on other people doing the least amount of damage we can um i had a lot of unprocessed anger when in college when i started really digging into all of this stuff and i bought myself a plastic bat and I would beat my bed in my dorm room and in everywhere I lived with my plastic bat. And I remember carrying that from place to place for like 10 years and until I finally realized I didn't need it anymore. But that was a really safe way to release the anger. Not everything can be internally digested. We also need the release. And of course, music is that for me too, because I can, music is and songwriting is the one place where I can tell the truth. Like mm. it's the one place mm. where I can, it doesn't have to have, it doesn't have to have a story or any attached. It is, this is what I love about songwriters. Three, all you need is three chords and the truth. <laughs> I latched onto that so much. That's all I had. So finding a way without lashing out. And like you said, blaming, shaming, without perpetuating the trauma without perpetuating it, without passing it on to someone else, finding a way to healthily emote and release it, express it is as important as that internal feeling. Both are, both are hugely necessary. Beautiful. Oh, I love that. And thank you. It's so important, uh, this step towards expression, you know, and in fact, I don't know if I, I mentioned, I, I've, you know, this came to me in the vision at 18, but I, I haven't had a chance to really write about it. And it's, it's something I hope to put in this next book, Souling. Um, but I call it ontosynthesis. In fact, my, you know, my, my uh, company, Ontos and Ontos Music, Ontos World Press, all come from Ontos, meaning being, uh, which also, though, originally came to me through ontosynthesis. Um, ontos also means the ongoing numinous tracking of soul. But for me, ontosynthesis is not a, a theory. It's trying to just simply describe like photosynthesis. So photosynthesis turns light into life. Mm. And ontosynthesis happens in the human heart and it turns life, particularly suffering, into love. Mm. And it happens when we fully feel like we let our experience fully into our heart. And there's, I think it's so cool that the heart chakra is considered green, like chlorophyll. Mm -hmm. And that if we really, we take it in, we feel fully what it is we feel and then give it expression, it turns into love and wisdom. Mm. Love, compassion, wisdom. So that's actually, I don't, I don't talk about that much, but you just inspired that because you said it so beautifully. It was like, that's ontosynthesis. That's, and I really feel that we are creating, well, Telhard de Chardin said this. He said, we're creating a newest field, a newest fear, like the atmosphere that just like, and this gets me emotional, you know, the plants for, you know, um, millions of years created the oxygen. So paving the way for us, you know, and that here we're literally creating an atmosphere of conscious love for whatever's to come. If we do this work, that when each of us do our work, when we feel our suffering all the way through and give it expression and actually turn it into beauty, you know, deep beauty, like native people talk about, we're literally creating a new kind of atmosphere mm. on the, on the planet mm. that we will one day, that literally we're creating a sphere of consciousness. It's not embodied. It's not in our skull. It's, it's, it's a field that we are, we have the option to either contribute to or not. So hoping that I don't care anymore if it sounds too woo-woo to anyone out there, but um, I know I can share that with you. So, so thank you for giving such a beautiful expression of what I consider ontosynthesis. That's really beautiful. And I love it. Like that's to me, alchemy. Like that's what personal alchemy is. Like we're the alchemy lab 
And we have this opportunity to turn our personal suffering into something beautiful that goes into the collective and changes the energy of the collective. And you said this in your book, the trick, your book, uh, Ever Flowing On, the trick is to realize that when you're working on yourself, you're working on the good for the good of all. And it's, it's hardly ever personal. It's always the personal as it relates to the collective. It affects everyone. And I think this point of understanding and realization for people who are moving from the codependent way of relating in the drama triangle, um, realizing that if you let go of trying to fix things for everyone else and you realize what your own personal work is and you do it, you're contributing more than you would if you were being hijacked and, and in that codependent, pen, codependent frenzy mm. of trying to control everything and change everything. Yeah. If you step back for a moment and focus on your personal part, which is hard to do when you're not used to doing it, yes. then you are contributing more to the the global field of energy that increases with all this love and beauty that can come out. Otherwise you're stuck. That's why it's called the triangle. You're just stuck in the same way. You go back and forth and back and forth between those roles, thinking you're doing something, but it's the same stories on repeat over and over and over. Oh, this is so, so well said. And, and that, you know, good segue to, to talk a little more about the drama triangle that I think it's harder for us to see as helpers, you know, uh, and, and the difference between a caretaker and a caregiver that I was taught was a caregiver gives without any expectation return, but a caretaker, there is a subtle subconscious need and desire to be appreciated, to hear a thank you for the person to actually follow through and do it. And if you find yourself having emotions around what they do or don't outcome, because again, the care caregiving in a non-codependent way, you're not attached to outcome. Where caretaking, you can be. And also if you're in that place of enabling where we are, and one way I think of enabling is if you're giving to your detriment, you know, right? That's so good. You know, that if you're giving also, and the person is either staying the same or getting worse and you're getting worse, then, you know, it's like I, I say, you know, you, you meet somebody in quicksand or if you're with a loved one, and you're walking through the woods and they fall in quicksand, you know, our intention, or I should say our default, at least my default was often to, you know, jump in this quicksand with them, like, let me help you out, right? And then you're in the quicksand. But even standing and trying to pull them out is dangerous. Even giving them a rope is dangerous because you're not sure if they really want to get out. So I always say, get a long rope, tie one side of the rope to a tree, throw them the other side of the rope and be a coach. You know, and then you can see because a lot of people will drop the rope because they're not actually interested in getting out. And, and again, if you've been enabling and being that rescuer, the way the drama triangle works, um, just for people to, that haven't heard of this before, and I'm going to put a link to it in, in the comment section, that as soon as you stop enabling, you will be considered the perpetrator. Yep. Yep. It's like, well, I can't believe you, you used to be such a nice person. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not being a doormat anymore, you know? Uh, and so, and also realizing that one of the most beautiful things we can do for people is let them feel the full weight of their existence on their shoulders. You know, to mm -hmm. say, I was like to say, everybody needs to feel hundred percent responsibility for their health and happiness. And one of the things, or the two things I see torpedo relationships the most and, and I've learned this the hard way through my own experience is feeling the other person is responsible for your happiness or feelings and having unrealistic expectations of the other person and yourself actually. So, you know, this sense of what I call a heart warrior, expect nothing, be ready for anything, be grateful for everything and take a hundred percent responsibility. You know, in recovery work, as you know, we always with the fourth step is we're going to look at our part in whatever happened. And, and that was also so freeing because even when I'm feeling hurt, when I'm feeling rejected, when I'm feeling, wow, you know, look at what everything I did for you. And you just, just drop me like that as a friend or whatever. And, and being able to know, you know what, 
um, maybe I was contributing to the hurt. Maybe I was hurting you by helping in the way I was, or maybe, and that was a, that was a really hard thing. I don't know for you, but for me, it was very humbling, painful. Tried it, trying to tune into that without self-hate or self-contempt, but it's, it's much more hard to see how we hurt people as codependents because we're so rewarded for it in our culture. We live in the most codependent culture that's ever existed. You know, and we are so rewarded for being the white knight. And when that's not often, in fact, I'm not sure it's ever what people really need, you know, and, uh, you know, the whole old saying, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. Um, so I can't remember that all of the, the updated, I think you called it the compassion triangle where you're being a coach instead of a rescuer. You're being, um, instead of a, a victim, you're being, do you remember them? Do you remember the, yeah, so, yeah. So, um, the, uh, the, the rescuer transmutes to the supporter yes. and the coach, um, the victims transmutes to the survivor thriver yes. and the perpetrator transmutes to the challenger. Nice. Um, yeah. which is, yeah, I mean, subtle differences and you can feel them in yourself. Yes. When you, when you're doing the difference, but yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, yeah. And I, I will put those, those connections down there. I, I was looking at some of our, um, other notes and I noticed, um, a couple things, you know, you had noted down, we were talking about, um, resentment and feeling self-righteous, mm. you know, resentment, such a tough one, you know, and again, the recovery fourth step is all about our resentments, you know, looking at, and the way I, I like to think of it, and I want to really want to hear your thoughts about it and what's su supported you and maybe tips for the listeners that it comes back over and over again to, um, expectation. Mm. You know, that, that thinking that the world somehow um, is going to go along with my script, you know, it's like, oh, you're not, you're not playing your role in this script, you know, and it's like, yep, yep. And, and I often challenge myself and others like, can you taste for a moment, what would it feel like to let go of all of your beliefs and expectations about yourself, others and reality just can you give me a little taste of that because people will argue to me up and down like well are you telling me this was not reasonable this is not a reasonable request that you know and and of course the bottom line is you know nothing is fair nothing is reasonable and there's not there's no stone tablet in the sky saying people are going to abide by the ten commandments much less my script for what mm -hmm. ethical living is so anyway, those are just some thoughts, but whatever hits you or whatever you'd like to respond to from there. Yeah. So there's one, one thing that's burning in me that I feel like Please. would be really good to bring to this conversation. The, you said we live in the most codependent culture ever. I mean, it permeates everything, every narrative that we're a part of when we leave our front doors and hopefully not in our front doors as much after we do the work. But, um, the, so to me, the root of what keeps us in the triangle and in that narrative of victim, rescuer, and perpetrator is a fundamental disconnect with our core worth, mm. which, so when we're disconnected from our core worth, we get our worth based on what we can do for other people or how we can control things, right? Once you're reconnected with your sense of worth. And you talk about this a lot, like finding that connection to soul and nature through the breath and through music or whatever it is, we are nature and finding that our worth is inherent in our existence. It's not based on anything else. Nothing, nothing. That's it. Like there are no more qualifiers. Every person who is alive and has breath has worth. That's it but we're, we're disconnected from our worth because of trauma, right? Trauma disconnects us from that core worth that we are nature, we are God, we are love, all that. So we disconnect. And so our worth is based on how we can make other people feel, how we can control the narrative. Yeah. So 
anytime I'm feeling that control, that need to control the story, make people do a certain thing, it's because I'm uncomfortable. Why am I uncomfortable? Drop down even farther. Where have I been hurt and wounded before? Drop down even below that. Where's my core worth beneath the wound? So it's layers deep, layers deep to get to that and operate from a place of core worth where we're seeing, we're connected to that in ourselves and we see it in everyone else. Like you're saying, everyone needs to feel the weight of existence on their shoulder. Conversely, they need to feel the connection of their worth based on their existence and nothing else. And everything is the heart warrior. I think you said the expect nothing, be ready for everything. I'm always saying to people, life owes you nothing. Life owes us nothing. Breath is the gift. Breath is the gift. We are not owed anything. So a product of being in a codependent society is entitlement. We think we're owed something. I mean, this, the gift is breath. That's it. That's it. I know that's not fun for the ego to hear or when, you know, when we have so much trauma and we need to maintain a sense of control somehow, that's not a fun idea to think that life doesn't owe us anything, but it's the reality. And that's where the creativity and flow with nature and the deeper voice that resonates through the earth and everything around us, that's where that connection comes in. And so you're living and breathing in direct connection with that. That's a different story. That's a different, different unfolding. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, I just uh, speaking to my heart. And it's the kind of thing, you know, on a vision fast, you experience when you, when you, um, thank you. Thank you for that, McCall. Mm. I hope everyone out there letting that just kind of hit a bit, you know, this, it is, it, it is all grace. The gift is the breath. We are not owed anything. I really love that. It's such an important, you know, ground, you know, coming into this, you know, to me, that was, that was the real felt experience out there on my, my first solo fast and, and, and that continued the lament in the wild. And one of my prayers was, you know, um, air to breathe and earth to be. I couldn't even say earth to stand on because I was so weak at times without food or water. It was literally mm. that the most precious thing was my breath. Mm. And I realized that was everything else. That itself was grace, but everything else was grace, is grace, always grace. And I think it goes very much to our denial of death too in our culture. You know, we, we deny because that truth reminds us we we come here and everything we will learn to love and claim we have to give away you know and that's just it's another another truth the ego doesn't want to hear and yet that is that is the ground of genuine deep compassion wisdom and love and so and that's why i like to think of every breath as a note in the song of today coming into existence and dying you know every moment we are being born and dying every breath every breath and and so i i love that and i love and if i think if we we can in, invite each other to be in that truth you know by the grace of god go i you know um we we really are doing our soul work we're you know really we're inviting people into that essential vulnerability that lets us wake up you know and and that is so much what i find in your work and in your words and i love how passionate you get about it too it just touches my heart you know? so it's really you're living and breathing it and and it's so so valuable and i think that's a, such a also an existential corrective to a lot of the abundance kind of messages out there. And it doesn't mean, because I think the, the corollary is that then everything is, a, I mean, to me, the abundance is the air. You know, look how much air we have to breathe mm -hmm. around. But, but 
but translating it into somehow I deserve, you know, this much money or this kind of house or this kind of partner or whatever, you know, we get into, there's a real, there, the ego co-ops a deep existential truth or ontological truth about the gift of being itself, the gift of breath. So I really love that. You're always so, you know, like, like even having that, you know, that falling into soul that you kind of in some ways, you know, have to fall from grace to find your soul. You know, you mm -hmm. have to, we have to fall off that pedestal. And, and I guess that's an interesting circle that I know, and I know you've shared this too. When we remember that our deepest awakening came from our deepest defeat, mm -hmm. we have no business saving other people from their defeat. Yes, right? exactly. So, yes. It's disrespectful. In many ways, it's disrespectful to engage or interrupt their process of falling. Uh -huh. You know? Uh -huh. yeah. that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I'm loving that we're kind of leaning into that and landing there unintentionally because, you know, I each, I, we are a microcosm of the macrocosm. Everyone's, existence is playing out god coming into being and then having to to die you know um, whether you take the christian or whatever spiritual tradition you come from there is the death rebirth understanding that we each have to live that out and i truly see us each i think i've mentioned before as a a a nerve ending or a node of divine pure consciousness in this field of infinite awareness and instead another way we're each an you know um a nerve ending of the divine that that we're a microcosm of the macrocosm that that and that for the soul to be initiated we must allow that person to go into their depths which mm. whether it's unraveling losing their mind that doesn't mean not to hold space but not to interfere i love that you said their process you know, how many people keep the caterpillar from cocooning, you know, and, and unfortunately our healthcare system is terrible at interrupting soul initiation by medication. Oh. Uh, even therapy at times can keep people away. We certainly know how traditional religion has, you know, I'd I don't know if you know, Bill Plotkin, I, one of my dearest teachers would always say, you know, um, hell is just a filibuster to keep you away from your soul. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but we have other filibusters, you know, the concept of depression as opposed to mm -hmm. seeing it as a dark night of the soul. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I, I, I really, the thing I know you do in your work and I hear most often from people I work with is they'll literally say, thank you for validating my suffering. Thank you for mm -hmm. validating my suffering. And as a recovering codependent, I think also, it, you know, thank you for not interfering with my suffering is what yeah. I also like to hear sometimes, although that doesn't happen as often. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing you did mention recently, what's, you know, how do we form healthy attachments? Mm -hmm. Because in the codependent triangle, the drama triangle, we obviously have attachments based on our trauma and our unhealed wounds. But then when we work through that and, and we come out and we're living in a new energy, we're still in this world. We're still dependent on each other for so many things. And how do we form healthy attachments? So we're not just bypassed out into some bliss land where nothing hurts us and yeah. we're not suffering. And what you, what you touched on to me is the key realizing that everything is in a life and death cycle, including ourselves, everything we love is in the process of disappearing and learning to process our feelings and emotions properly and grieve properly helps us realize that we can do that again and we will do it again. And we are always in that process at, at some point. So feeling, learning to feel, learning to process feelings, learning to release emotions. To me, and I, I call that all alchemy, alchemizing and transmuting. To me, it builds a confidence 
not that we will never have to suffer or never have to lose what we love again or who we love, but that when we do, when the time comes, the time will come. Every attachment has an expiration. So for me, it's about learning to attach and knowing with confidence that I have the tools necessary to go through the process of grief and let go and process whatever I need to when it's time. Every attachment has an expiration date in this physical world. Amen. Amen. Aho. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And in fact, uh, I thank you for bringing up attachment. You know, there's, and for those who may not be as familiar, um, two things have been really helpful. And again, my, my own journey, my recovery journey is understanding the difference between attachment and connection and mm. connections are these relationships that you know, don't undermine us when they go awry as much. And we, mm. you know, we might not see the person for three months or six months when we reconnect just like, you know, but it's stable, consistent, it's enjoyable. We're, you know, kind of, you know, connect in that way. Attachment-based relationships, which are mirroring our very early relationships of parent-child in particular, you know, they can, and you know, you're an attachment relationship when something goes wrong and you fall into what we call primal panic, you know, mm visceral sense of becoming undone and of course this often happens romantic relationships but it certainly can happen with friendships certainly happens with siblings and parents and children because they are attachment based by definition and attachment although i don't you know it's so funny in you know buddhism and meditation and you know, we talk about non-attachment but the fact is i love what you said it's inevitable that we have attachment relationships and part of it, I think, is asking yourself, you know, when you're in a relationship, is this attachment-based or a connection? If it is attachment-based and, you know, and not to get too much into the psychology of secure attachment and, you know, insecure attachment or anxious avoiding, et cetera, that could be another podcast. But the issue for me always is two things. Number one, like you said, because you have to know that being willing and able to be part of an attachment relationship is, is going to be more investment of time and energy. And also when it is disrupted, which like you said, which I'm getting to, it's inevitable that it has an expiration date that just because it does provide a tremendous amount of security and joy and comfort, because, you know, we do come into the world so vulnerable as infants that we we do attach, we have to attach in that way. But when I tell people, which the ego doesn't like hearing either, all relationships will either end in abandonment, leaving or betrayal. And people just are just horrible. No, that can't be. It's like, even if it's death, even if it's amazing and incredible till death, that's still leaving. That's still and maybe abandonment. And so this idea of expiration, and this is something you don't find in the psychological literature, of course, is that to me, our first attachment, the attachment-based relationship we should cultivate the most is to being at large, spirit, the ground, source, mm -hmm. God, goddess, whatever you want to call it, the Tao. Um, this, is, this is what we have the opportunity as adults, true adults, to do when we didn't have that choice as infants. We carry that imprint of those early attachments or those early attachment wounds, but we, we have responsibility. And part of a soul initiation for me is experiencing your felt connection to that larger presence and cultivating it because it's, it is, the, to me, the most important relationship and should be our first you know, priority not to stay away from, but actually to enter into relationships from a place where we'll be a bit more resilient. It doesn't mean yeah. there won't be tears. It doesn't mean there won't be hurt. It doesn't mean you're not going to have suffering, but it's manageable, you know? So, and the other, the second one is then to our own soul, our attachment to our own soul and our own self-care and our own care of soul. And, and then to our attachment-based relationships. And I think if those first two are in place, we also are more capable of making healthier decisions when it comes to how we are going to invest in, because it is an investment, all relationships are investment to some degree. Um, and I always like to say, is this relationship, are the are they making enough deposits to, to cover the withdrawals they're making? If not, you need to close the account. 
you know, or at least you know, decrease their, you know, their ability to, you know, hey, you've got a deficit here until that account's filled up. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing here. And that took me a long time to learn because I would, I would give and give and give to my detriment. And I've, I share this in my books, but I've burned out three times in my life, you know, and I just don't want to do that. I probably will do it again. Who knows? But I really feel in a much healthier place than I ever have, but it's still hard. It's hard to say no. It's hard to the drug of being the white knight, the drug of codependency that, you know, we see it in movies, we hear it on the radio. The message is, you know, well, Jesus, Mother Teresa, you know, you, you become the martyr. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, um, thank you for, for those thoughts. Um, I have no, I always, whenever we're talking, it seems to go so fast. Um, but, but yeah, we have a little bit of, of time left. Anything else that you feel? Um, I think we covered most everything outside of the, um, well, we, we touched a little bit on this, the self-righteousness, which comes into the white night and all that, but, but also if there's anything else that you, well, I'm going to say, I'll, I'll add one other thing in case something besides self-righteousness hits. Um, one of the things that I'm also very passionate about is jealousy, possessiveness, like un learning jealousy and possessiveness because in our culture we we tend to see people as property very much like our you know we think you can own the land and indigenous people had much more open understandings around sexuality and and the the amount many people that you could love or connect to and you know i have no we've never talked about things like polyamory or anything and i'm not that i'm promoting that but i to me the idea of many loves just being even if it's non-sexual or whatever, but we have a real issue with jealousy. And, and I've come to really question whether or not jealousy in and of itself is kind of a, a creation of Western culture and a, and, and a fairly devastating, unhealthy emotion that, like anger, that we're so terrified of exposing our loved ones to jealousy. And and how powerful is when you can admit, I'm not saying not to admit jealousy, but to say, wow, I'm, I am feeling jealous. Let me, let me explore that just like we would with anger, just like we might write it out and explore it. But it's, there's a lot of shame around even allowing that into our consciousness. So whether it's self-righteousness or jealousy, that these ideas of kind of how we distance from our, our sense of seeing our attachments as property, you know, somehow not only obeying our script, but somehow our property. <laughs> yeah. Which goes along the lines with that entitlement and deserving and not seeing the gift yeah. in the breath and the abundance. Cause there's a, like an underlined scarcity mentality that comes with jealousy and possession and all that stuff. When really, when you're connected to the great source, everything's abundant. Everything's abundant. You don't own it. It's given to you freely. And so it's a different, a different energy that you're coming from. But I, I really do think that rather than, like you said, shaming it or shunning it, those things like jealousy and fear and resentment and self-righteousness and pride, any of those anger, all of those, it's like, ridiculous in our society because those things cause the most damage but so, then we're supposed to we're supposed to act like they're not there or like, be above them or be, yeah think, yeah that's exactly yeah. i think it's like self-righteous like also yeah like somehow it it's the there's the spiritual bypass we've talked about but there's also the social bypass like you know and it's very damaging. It's just very yeah. damaging to act as if we are either above or beyond it, but also that because the only way to transform it and alchemize it is to own it, embrace it, mm-hmm. and express somehow. Mm-hmm. And I did want to add, you know, that even also expressing, even after we might write the song or the poem or whatever, some emotions do require action mm-hmm. and taking steps to make changes. 
you know, that the feeling may get to a place of, wow, no, I don't feel safe in this situation or this relationship or with this person, or I don't feel that uh, I'm being seen or heard or, or respected, you know, that sometimes these emotions, by alchemizing them and expressing them, because I do think we can creatively bypass, just like spiritually bypass, which I have done both, by the way, let me just say, you know, in my life, but also asking that deeper question, does this require action on my part? Like if I find myself going over and over the same thing, if I express it and dissipates and the issue doesn't arise, then, you know, that's fine. But if something, I keep hitting a wall or something is that this is not okay, um, because it's one thing, us keeping our side of the street clean, but then how, you know, if somebody, you know, out here, if you're out there, somebody's trying to, you know, trying to rescue you, we've talked more about trying to not be the rescuer, but it also goes, you know, if somebody's trying to, you know, um, there's a lot of rescuers out there who have hidden agendas, you know, or, mm. or at least are, you know, can, pull you into a situation where all of a sudden you can find your your boundaries being violated and you um and fall in that drama triangle from any standpoint and i don't know if you knew this but you know i'm actually you know my new passion is film and i'm i'm doing some screenwriting right now and and i find it's it's just fun number one but number two it's like working on all these themes I didn't know the drama triangle was originally created because he was a screenwriter and wanted to analyze. He was analyzing scripts and he actually said the best scripts or even the best plays like, you know, with in Shakespeare and stuff, the more people take different turns throughout the triangle in one story, the more profound and the more we love it. So actually, isn't that interesting? You know, and so the other side of it, I guess, you know, part of the normalizing, I think it's important for everyone out there to know, um, be aware of it, be moved towards these healthier things that McCall and I have been talking about, but know that part of the human drama is to struggle in these places and, and just become more conscious. And, you know, if you feel like even you're lost in drama right now, just know that that's part of your, your current path. And, we'd walk out of a theater if it was boring, you know, that, you know, part of, we are here to, to mm-hmm. fully feel the key is to just bring a bit more consciousness. Um, I do feel if we can get our drama through our writing and music and keep our personal lives as healthy and healed as possible, but that, you know, that takes, takes a while. It takes, takes, can take decades to, mm-hmm. to do that. It doesn't mean you won't. I have fallen into this, you know, I've oftentimes been sober for years, emotionally sober for years, and then fallen into the triangle again and go, whoa, how did that happen? Yeah. You know, um, usually a part of me is coming up to be healed that I'd forgotten about or that I'd repressed. And the soul is always seeking deeper layers of healing and wholeness. Mm-hmm. And so that can happen to us at any time. And, and that's why we, I think, talked a little bit about that last time was, the alchemical or shamanic process or spiral of change that death rebirths never end as long as we're in these bodies. And so maybe we can finish too with kind of um, blessing where anybody is out there that this isn't judgment. We're not pathologizing these points in the triangle. We're saying that you could almost say that the roles of victim rescue perpetrator is when you are unconscious about what's happening and you're taking it as ultimate reality. Mm-hmm. We're simply asking you, it doesn't mean you may change it tomorrow or you'll pull yourself out or you'll still be in hopefully survivor thriver or finding a good coach or challenger, but stepping back from it enough to give some space and maybe even have a sense of humor about there I go again, or you know where you are and, and take that gift and that breath and create a little space around it because we need life is dramatic. I mean, I think what we want to try to avoid is the melodrama and the unconscious drama that we actually are fueling, but rather know that we can maybe be a little more conscious, a little more playful, a little bit more skillful, choosing to what degree and how, and not 
keep perpetuating something that is actually digging us deeper into a hole or the quicksand. And it is, I, I want to say, and this is something, you know, at the same time, when I'm working with people, mentoring people and healing from codependency, I say it's as lethal as any drug. It probably is one of the leading causes of suicide, mm. right? Because mm. you can feel so desperate and so lost. Mm. And I know I've shared, I've been suicidal three times in my life as without alcohol, drugs, and being highly <laughs> successful, it was literally losing myself in someone else's drama. Mm. And, and, and then blaming myself. <laughs> exactly. Right? So, mm. so anybody out there suffering know that um, we love you. And, you know, it's, we are all in this together and we need yeah. each other to do the work that we have to do alone. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to give you a chance to any final thoughts, you know, any final comments and also again, how people can, you know, find you. I just highly recommend McCall. I, I just, um, she's going to be doing big things. There's so many mm -hmm. I see in you and so much that I, I can just see unfolding for you in the future. And I'm just excited that I found you at this stage of your career before I can still get you on my podcast. <laughs> That's very kind. Thank you. I mean, you just touched on the perfect way to close this because, I mean, the reason I brought up the drama triangle again in my podcast now, even though I started working on it 20 years ago, is because I was facing a new round of it and going, what the hell, right? There's nowhere, <laughs> what's going on here? I thought I worked on this. You know, I, I thought I wasn't codependent, whatever. <laughs> so it's the spiraling. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm always working with this idea that we're learning to do the same things differently. Mm. And that's what we take in the spiral journey. So maybe there's always a triangle of drama, but it's different. You know, maybe that's why I like the compassion triangle because what are we just some detached zombies where we, like, like peace can be kind of boring if, yeah. if all you have is peace and, and no oh. drama. So it's that balance and learning that I really appreciate what you said, like letting ourselves be where we are and realizing that this is normal. Yeah. This is normal to be caught up in drama, to be hijacked from yourself, to, to be operating from places of, of trauma, to, to not know, you know, not know yourself, be disconnected. We're born into that in this world. So the healing, we gain a little bit of consciousness and awareness each time and a little bit more self-love each time, a little bit more self-compassion, but we're, we're always in those spirals it's the spiral journey. So allowing ourselves to be that, that brings it home and keeps it real because that's real. <laughs> like that's what's real. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. I, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, McCall. And it's, it reminds me of that same idea that as much as we want to touch the source and unity and that timeless, ageless, deathless place, which is ultimate reality, but which is also outside of time, that this realm is one of duality. Now it's nested in a unity. It's kind of like the Tao is the unity and then the yin yang is the duality that makes the dance of being here. But I, you know, I would say, you know, electricity does not, none of what we're doing could be possible without a negative and positive pole. Electricity needs a negative and positive to which means it needs opposition to run. It needs opposition to flow. A river doesn't flow without a tension of opposites. And the more dramatic the, the, the terrain, the more beautiful the river with the rapids and the louder the song. So I, I, I love this where we're landing because it is, I know for both of us, so much about not pathologizing the human condition with all of the light and dark and honoring the whole human catastrophe. You know, I always say we're a paradoxical, contradictory package of animal, human, and divine, you know, and, and mm. just trying to, to, to coming to deeper layers of awareness. But that, 
those other parts of us, the animal and human parts of us are really the energy. I remember William Blake saying, go to hell for energy and going to heaven to perform and marry them. And he had his whole series of poems called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. Mm. And, you know, it's very, to me, that's kind of what both of us are really on in terms of the, you know, the, the confluence of our work alchemically and shamanically and soulfully. So, so thank you. Thank you for being here. And again, the way people can connect with you. Oh yeah. Best place is my website, McCallErickson.com. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter and my podcast is falling into soul on wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. I highly recommend falling into soul and you get a chance to hear McCall sing. She sings like an angel. Just, uh, mm. it seems I need to say something deeper than that. It's because it's, it's deeper than any, knowing our spiritual background, you know, like um, soulfully and deep and from the heart. So thank you for being here. Thank you for, taking your journey thank you for sharing your journey um your tell them a little bit about your book and your new book too because the titles yeah. themselves to me are are worth hearing well the the first book is uh the second half of the mountain and you can find it on amazon the second book i haven't released the title yet Ooh, so i'm glad nice. i'm glad you didn't say it because i know you know it but i am working on it and it's coming up very soon so it's a follow-up book to the second half of the mountain yeah, it's oh. it's exciting it's she writes very beautifully and from the heart and very transparently and is very courageous and vulnerable about sharing mm. her own dark times and and to me if it, that's a real test of um you know a writer and healer and and a alchemist so thank you mccall erickson for being on musitations and having a solversation we once again for mm. those that don't know i'm here on the gulf coast and you are in hawaii Yes. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, I have to tell you, and we can talk after, but I'm so excited. This script I'm working on, the sea turtle, um, Hanu, I think Honu. is Honu. Honu. Honu yeah. is a big theme, a big symbol throughout. So I have to tell you more about it. And it's it's all it's actually pretty much everything we've talked about is is in the screenplay I'm working on. So um, I forgot you were in Hawaii and I've been reading all about Hanu. I and mean, we yeah. have them here and I'm very connected to them. Oh, so, so yeah, we'll talk more about that. That's awesome. I love that. Be well, take care. Goddess, Godness bless you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, brother. And all, mm. uh, all of the listeners out there, um, we wish you well on your journey. Namaste. Namaste. You've been listening to Musitations, sound healing and sound wisdom for a world in need, where we explore all things musical, meditative, and creative for healing, transformation, and awakening the soul. I've been your guide and host, Michael Brandt DiMaria. Feel free to check out my music on Pandora, Amazon Music, Spotify, XM Cirrus Radio, or Soundscapes Cable. You can also check out my website at michaeldemaria.com or online programs at alldaypeace.com, alldaypeace.com. Listen to your heart, follow your soul, and we'll see you on the next episode of Musitations. <laughs>